Luke chapter number 10. If you're visiting with us today, there's a copy of the outline in your bulletin that you received. Hopefully you received one of those on your way in. And you can follow along in the scriptures and with the outline, many of the supporting verses. And uh, thinking about Vacation Bible School this morning and throughout this week, God led me to Luke chapter number 10 and uh, appreciate that song. And I, I think about how many times in my life that God has been shaping me, molding me, trying to teach me. How many of you would say this morning, if the Lord will, I want God to teach me something today. I want God to teach me something. And so this morning's message is entitled, The Art of Neighboring. Are you a good neighbor? That's the question this morning. And I want you to see in Luke chapter number 10, as Jesus was trying to help, as the Bible describes him, a certain lawyer. Now, we think of lawyers in our day as people who practice law, but understand many times in the Bible when it mentions lawyer, it many times is dealing with the doctors of the law, those who are theologians, those who are trying to understand the Word of God or thought they knew the Bible. And so Jesus gently is trying to shape and mold this individual. And so maybe you could put yourself in that person's shoes today as we read, beginning in verse number 25, the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do? Key word there, the letter D-O. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This, look at it, do. Remember that he said, What must I do? Jesus said, This do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, 
I will repay thee. Which now, he turns to this lawyer. And look at the question. Which now of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which one of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou what? Likewise. Likewise. Who is my neighbor? Do you know neighboring can be an art? It can be an art. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you'd bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. This passage is all too familiar with us because oftentimes we refer to it as the story of the good what? Good Samaritan. Sometimes it's the familiar stories that many times we're like, yeah, I know that one. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you know. But many times there are things that are in those simple stories that we're so familiar with that we miss. I know this, that the devil is good at division. Now, God is very good at multiplication, but the devil loves division. The devil loves to subtract. God loves to add. The devil likes to divide families, churches, individual lives. When I think about us individually, the devil likes to divide your love. He likes to divide my love. The Bible says in Romans 12, 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now the word dissimulation is Maybe a word that you don't walk around and going, yes, I'm going to dissimulate this. Uh, I, I'm a master of dissimulation. We oftentimes don't use that word, and here's why. Because the word dissimulation means hypocrisy. I hope you're not a master of dissimulation. Because certainly we should not be two-faced in our lives. And our love, listen, the love that you have for God and for others, shouldn't be a hypocritical love, a two-faced love. Do you have a love that is divided? Do you have a love that is biased towards people of maybe race or background, ethnicity, whatever it may be? Because can I remind you, the Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. That means God loves everyone. That means you and I should love everyone. There's no one that we should not, not love. Millions of people that live and have lived reject Christ. But can I tell you, even though they rejected God's own dear son, God still loves them. God still cares about them. And we need to understand that true love, true love gives without ever expecting something in return. 
That's the kind of love that the world doesn't understand because that's God's love for us. It's known as an agape type love. The Bible says this of the Apostle Paul that after he got saved that God had done a work in his heart and that he was understanding this love that God had for him. And he had that very same love for believers in Christ there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. In other words, Paul was saying, look, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you return my love for you in the form of your love for me. That doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you. I am willing, because of what God's done in my heart, to spend and to be spent for you. This is the kind of love that Jesus had for us when he left the splendors of heaven and came to this sin-cursed world and gave his life that we might have eternal life. Look, God demonstrated his love. And you know what God does is that, listen now, in the word of God, not just to this certain lawyer, but to you today, to me, God is commanding us to have that very same kind of love for our neighbors. Now the question was, who is my neighbor? And here's what Jesus says. Well, okay, you've asked the question, who's my neighbor? And I love what Jesus does. Here's what he says, and you have to forgive me, I'm kind of reading between the lines here. Jesus says to him, well, let's see what the Bible says. Because here's, here's what Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? Do you know that's a good place for all of us always to go when we have questions is to the Word of God? Jesus said, what's, what's written in the law? If we're going to love our neighbor as God designed us to love our neighbor, there are some essentials that you and I have to understand in order to demonstrate that, that unconditional love, that agape type love. I believe it was the kind of love that that Samaritan had, not the kind of love that the priest and the Levite didn't have. So notice first this morning the prescription for success. The prescription for success. The lawyer's question came, and you know what Jesus does, and he was a master of this, is when he asked the question, Jesus answered the question with a question. If you ever want to know something about someone, look, just, just ask them a question because questions tend to probe. Questions tend to, to get people to think about things. And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? What is written in the law? And so Jesus is focusing and trying to get the lawyer to see that there has to be a preeminence of one. And the, the word one is capital O and E instead of little letter O. Because look what it says in verse number 27 of our passage this morning. The Bible says, and he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right. You've given the right answer. I'm going to give you an A plus in school today. He says, thou hast answered right. Look, folks, when I think about the preeminence of one, there should be no dissimulation. There should be no hypocrisy in our lives of loving God. 
when we get, watch this now, when we get this love between us and God right, then our love between us and man will be right. But oftentimes, the reason we don't love others the way we should is because we don't love God the way we should. Remember what he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might, and thy neighbor as thyself. Notice, he didn't start with the neighbor and then say, well, if you love your neighbor, then you'll love God. No, he says, if you love God, you'll love your neighbor. The preeminence of one, God has to be preeminent in our lives. He has to be first place in our lives. I shared in Sunday school this morning in Ephesians, uh, in the church in Ephesus, in Revelation chapter number two, one of those seven churches that the Lord wrote to, that we find that he says, look, he says, you've done all these things. You have worked and you've labored and you've borne and all these things that you have done. And honestly, as a church, I'm glad that you've done those things. But in verse number four, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left what? I first love. It's easy sometimes to fall out of love with the Lord, but there has to be the preeminence. We will never love our neighbor if we do not love God. Would you agree this morning? The preeminence of one. If we're going to be successful, we have to make sure that the Lord is first place in our lives. And if the Lord is first, look, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might. If there is the preeminence of one, then secondly, there will be the priorities on others. The priority on others. Why do all this for kids? I mean, some people are like, seriously? You're going to go through all that for children? Yes. I would go through all this for anyone. Understand that our lives should be lived for others. To help other people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not commanding us here to love ourselves. The truth is, look, all of us are in love with ourselves. We love ourselves way too much. Look in Ephesians 5 there and you know it's, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. We don't have a problem loving ourselves. What God is saying to us is, do you love your neighbor the way you love yourself? Do you forgive others the way that you yourself forgive yourself? Do you tell others, listen, do you tell other people how God loves them? Do you share with them the things of God the only way that folks are going to see God through us is that we're showing them the very love of God. And it's important that we do this. Look at 1 John 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How? Because we love who? The brother. Look at, look at what it says a couple chapter or chapter later. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. John wrote there a couple verses later, <clears throat> excuse me, if any man say, I love God, 
and hateth his own brother. Look at, he is a liar. And he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is a commandment that we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So in other words, look at me this morning. Who then should be the objects of our love? God, the preeminence of one, and others. God and others. The little, the little acronym that years ago that I heard, and it actually is my wife's name, Joy. Jesus, others, then you. Do you know that you can't spell joy starting with the why? But many times we love ourselves when the focus needs to be on the Lord and then on others. Remember what he said, thou's answered right. See, if we want to be successful, he's given us a prescription for success. But notice secondly this morning that as we see this, this prescription for success, we also see in the passage the peril of sin. When God created man, and you can go back on your own and study in the Word of God, back to the book of Genesis, you see that God created the man, and then from the man, he took the rib, he created the woman, he brought the woman unto the man, and you see that there was eventually a love between the man and the woman. But it didn't take long for sin to separate them. That's what sin does. It separates us even from our God. They began in the, in the Garden of, of Eden. Remember how she took of the fruit, and oftentimes we, we refer to it as an apple. You just can't find that in the Bible. I don't know, maybe it was a banana, you know? Whatever it was, she saw it, she took it, she ate, she gave it to him, he ate, and then what happened? That game that we've been playing for centuries, it's called the blame game. You know, he blamed the woman, the woman blamed who? The serpent. So here it is, sin separated them, they began to blame each other, and their love for each other began to disintegrate quickly. Are you with me this morning? Because look, God's given us the prescription for success, but I find here that as you look at the passage this morning, that Jesus is sharing this story with this certain lawyer because he's trying to show him that the prescription for success is oftentimes ruined by the peril of sin. Notice, first of all, there was a defrauding. The Bible says in verse 30, Jesus said a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among what? Thieves. You ever been robbed? Violated? I remember when I was in college, I, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God always works things for our good. But one thing that I've always appreciated is, is that God called me into the ministry. He called me to preach the gospel, but he waited until I was 30 years old to call me into the ministry. And so when I went off to Bible college, instead of having to live in the dorms, I had my own dorm. It was called my house. I was the ruler of my dorm. I was the dorm supervisor. If, I didn't have to share the bathroom with someone else. And every, every day when I went to class, I heard these college guys that I, was, that I was in classes with talking about some of the shenanigans that would go on in the dormitories. 
guys coming in late at night from work, and guys lurking in the shadows on the top bunk bed, jumping like lions in the air and landing on them, and everything they had in their hands went flying, including a 32-ounce Mountain Dew across at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. I remember uh, listening to the guys talk. There was this guy that, that we had in our classes. His name was Wilson Hines. Wilson Hines was an interesting guy. His dad was, uh, owned his own trucking firm. And Wilson Hines, I'm not making this up, Wilson Hines, all of his clothes, all of his trousers, his pants, I don't know where you're from in the country, that's why, I, I, you know, pants, trousers, whatever, but they were all hanging in his closet, and it, it, it never changed. All of his pants on the inside of them, from the waist all the way below the knees, were silk-lined pants. Very expensive pants. They were always creased perfectly, hanging on hangers, and they were done by colors in his closet. Every one of them, the, the, the bottom of the pant was even all the way across. Wilson Hines probably had 10 or more dress shirts. Every one of them starched and every one of them white. Every one of them hanging one after another, after another, after another in his closet. He had dress shoes that were very nice, very expensive dress shoes. And they were, they were sitting in a certain way in his closet. And these guys would get into his closet and they would do the same thing that Miss Becky used to do to Brother Kenny. She, they would take his shoes and they would take the brown pair from here and put them over here and the black pair from here and put them over here. And Wilson would walk in and he'd say, who's been in my closet? And they're all like, what are you talking about? He's, he's like, somebody's moved my shoes. He knew everything about his closet. And so those guys, a lot of times, just being ornery, they would get into Wilson's closet knowing how he would be. And I would be sitting there waiting for chapel. And Wilson one day was sitting down the row for me. And I heard him say, as, as we were waiting for chapel to start, one of the college guys walked in coming from class right before chapel. And I heard Wilson go, hey, that's my tie. <laughs> and then another guy walked in over here and he goes, that's my tie over there too. And those guys had gotten into his collection and took his silk, 100% silk ties. And every one of them wore one of his ties that day. <laughs> you do understand that even in a college setting where they have a community refrigerator in a dorm, that if someone puts, they buy and they put food in there. And somebody else takes that food without asking. That's called stealing. My children have been stealing from me all their lives. <laughs> have you ever had somebody steal your identity? Credit card theft? Fraud that goes on? Folks, can I tell you that that is what the devil does in our lives every day, all day long is defrauds us. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. The devil wants to destroy the joy in your life and he wants to destroy any peace that you might have and the fulfillment that you might want to have in your lives. I, I, I was laughing the other day because 
I wasn't back there and I, I was reading a text that got sent through our, we have a family text that we send and sometimes it gets out of control and, and my kids start texting back and forth and things and, and there was a text that came across because my wife has been teaching on Wednesday nights in the back, the little children. And my wife, I love it. She's always, uh, Wednesday, she's like going through stuff and finding stuff for the kids. And she, a couple weeks ago, she made a little boat. I had to put a sail on the boat. And, you know, a lot of times I'm thinking, man, she's going overboard with this. I'm glad she goes overboard with it. I'm glad she, like Lauren and her mom, spends all that time with the kids. And, and, and so she's teaching through a series now on the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, if you think it's good to teach children on the fruits of the Spirit, I think we need to teach some adults the fruits of the Spirit. But she was back there and she was teaching that. And so my, my daughter got home and she was uh, trying to help her daughter, my granddaughter, who's three years old, to get something to eat. And she was asking my granddaughter what she wanted to eat. And my granddaughter, she, she was kind of got irritated at her mom and she said something and my daughter didn't know what she said. And she finally asked her, and here's what my granddaughter said. She said, I want to eat the fruits of the Spirit, Mom. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Folks, listen, in this passage this morning, there was a defrauding, but notice, secondly, that there also was a disabling. Look what the Bible says in verse 30 again, that the Bible says, that Jesus said a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's what the devil does. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, disable, destroy. The devil wants to bring things into your life that will ruin your testimony, that will ruin your opportunity to love other people. Look at the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 6, she that liveth in pleasure, look at these words, she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Do you want to know who some of those most bitter, angry people are? People that have money. I saw a story, you probably saw it in the news too, I'm not advertising for them, but the first trillion-dollar company, Apple, trillion dollars. Right after that story, they aired the story about originally, and again, I'm not an official on this, but I guess when the company was established, there were three men instead of two men. Now, all you ever hear about is the two, Mr. Jobs and Mr. Wozniak, or however you say his name, but there was a third man. His last name was Wayne. He was a little bit older than the other two guys. He helped establish the company. He had 10% in the company. Somewhere along the way, Mr. Wayne decided, or maybe they asked him to, but they bought him out for $2,300. A company that's now a trillion dollars. Bad move, Mr. Wayne. But you know, there's oftentimes a disabling in our lives. The Bible says there was this man and they left him half dead, which led to a departing. See, there's always, when, there, when it comes to sin, there's always going to be the defrauding, there's going to be the disabling, but there will be a departing. Go back to verse number 30 again, because maybe you didn't see it, but it says here that they stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed. 
They just left him there. See, that's what sin does. When sin is over, when it's run its course, you know what happens? The devil goes home. You know, when he's done his damage, he departs. He'll leave you, and when he leaves you because of sin, guess how you're left? Alone to face the consequences. Remember how they found the woman taken in adultery? They brought her before, and they were going to stone her. Isn't it interesting because the Bible actually says that if there's going to be a stoning, it should be the adulterer and the adulteress. Where's the guy? But nonetheless, there she was all alone. Remember what Jesus said to her in those loving words? Go and sin no more. But see, the devil loves to destroy lives and then leave you there to face the consequences. When you look in the Bible, you see people who were gripped by sin and they were left alone to face those consequences. How about the prodigal son? Remember where he found himself eating the food of the hogs? And what did he immediately, look, it came to him, hey, my father has more than this. I'm just going to go home and apologize to dad. I'll just be one of his servants. You see other people in the Bible. How about this one? Judas Iscariot. He was left alone to face the consequence. Went out and hanged himself. You think about others in the Bible. The rich man in hell. How about Achan? Just had to have the Babylonian garments and the wedges of silver and hit him in the floor of his tent. How about King Saul? The thief on the cross. I'm not talking about the one that mocked the Lord. I'm talking about the one that looked to the Lord, but nonetheless, you find there was a departing. What we need to understand this morning is that if you and I, if we don't know Christ, then according to the word of God, we are still alone in our sin. We're facing the consequences of our sin. If you're not saved this morning, you need to come to the one, the one that said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God doesn't leave us like the devil does. God says, I will always be with you once we are saved. You see, God's given us a prescription for success, but oftentimes the peril of sin will destroy that prescription. But I notice also in the passage this morning the paralysis of self. Look back in verse 31 of our passage, a couple words there at the beginning of verse 31. Interesting in this passage, the Bible says, and by what? Chance. Isn't it interesting Jesus chose those words? Do you know that nothing happens by chance with God? Everything has a purpose. Notice, I see, first of all, a divine encounter. They came that way. They're, look, no one passes your life by accident. I don't believe that it's an accident that you're here today. I believe God intersects our lives with other people. I know that, that God's done that in my own life. The Bible says that Job commented and said, Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? Proverbs 16, 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Jeremiah said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. See, this was a divine encounter, folks, that it, 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 was, it was something that God allowed and God was going to use this situation, but notice I see a di diminished empathy that God gave that priest and that Levite and that Samaritan. All of them had the same opportunity. 
The Bible says in verse 31, look at it again. It says, by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, the Bible says he passed by on the other side. And likewise, in the same manner, a Levite, when he was at the place, he saw him, he came, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. See, there was a, a diminished empathy. I mean, these two individuals, now this is what got me, a priest and a Levite. Now, if you know anything about those two individuals and their background and who they were, they would be considered religious people. But there was no sympathy there. There was no compassion there. What kind of ministry doesn't care about or love people? I mean, honestly, that's what the ministry is. The ministry is not paperwork, it's people work. You ever, you ever run into somebody, you go out to buy something, or how about this, some of you will be familiar, the dreaded DMV. And you go to a place like that, and they're out working in the public sector, and they're working with people, and they are the biggest crabby people you ever met in your life. You know what I love to do? I usually take it upon myself as a personal favor to them to do anything I can to make them smile while I'm there, to brighten their day. But listen, these two individuals, they had an opportunity to make a difference in this person's life, but the Bible says they, they didn't care for him. They passed by on the other side. Lamentations 1.12 says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? The psalmist said in Psalm 142, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that, that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Folks, I hope that it, it, that it is never said of Bible Baptist Church that we don't care about other people. I hope that God's people always care. See, I find here uh, it was a divine encounter. God gave the priest, he gave this Levite an opportunity, but there was a diminished empathy. They didn't care. They stayed on the other side. They passed by. Notice I see thirdly a deceitful expedience as they were on the other side. They saw the need and guess what they did? Nothing. They did zero, nilch, nada. They didn't do anything. They looked on him. Look, whatever it was that was on the other side, it was more important to them. I don't know what it was, but it was expedient. This man was half dead. He was stripped of his clothes. He was wounded. He had been robbed. There was something in their lives as a priest and a Levite that was more important than helping this man. And had such a need in his life, I, I think to myself, I wonder if there's something more important in my life than tending to the needs of other people. That's the question that I think all of us need to ask. Because as busy as Jesus was, Jesus always saw the need and he met the need. Look at the Bible says in Mark 10. Here's a passage where some parents are bringing their children to the Lord, and the Bible says they brought him that he should touch them. And the disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He wasn't happy with his disciples because here's these parents trying to bring their children in. And look, we understand the context that many times they would bring children to a rabbi, to a religious person, thinking that 
maybe if he prayed over them, maybe if he laid his hands on them, maybe he, if he gave them a conferred a special blessing on them. But you have to understand, they were bringing their children to the Son of God. And the disciples, their attitude was, don't you, don't you parents know how busy Jesus is? Jesus doesn't have time for you. Boy, did they have it wrong. Did they not understand who Jesus was and what his ministry was all about? Can I tell you, look, he might not be here physically today, but whatever your need is, he's ready to meet that need today. And I believe not only is he ready to meet it, but he can meet that need today. Jesus was displeased with his disciples. And here's what he says to them, suffer the little children. In other words, let these children, let these people with needs, let them come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and he put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. Hey, look, the disciples were trying to send them away, but Jesus says, let them come to me. See, I find that no matter how busy Jesus was, you study the Bible, here's what you find. Even in his greatest hour of suffering on the cross, the thief had a need, and what did Jesus do? He met that need. Look at the Bible says, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou goest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily or truly, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus never met a need that he didn't have time for. The question is, how do you see the world this morning? I'll tell you how Jesus saw it. The Bible describes it in Matthew 9 when he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. We need to be moved with compassion for those that have needs. Self Selfish living will paralyze your love for Christ and the love that you have for others. Because remember, we can't love others unless we love the Lord the way we should. You see, I find here a paralysis of self because of sin. But watch this. Here's the best part. Notice the power of sacrifice. Look at verse 33 of our, our text this morning. Notice the very first word in verse number 33. What is it? But. See, Jesus has talked about that priest, that Levite. The situation that individual was in there being left half dead and stripped and and, and all of his stuff taken. And here's what I find is that Jesus shows us the power of sacrifice by illustrating here, first of all, a serving mindset that this was someone who came. And of all people, look, it wasn't a priest and it wasn't a Levite. It was a Samaritan, a half-breed Jew. Someone that no one else would have said, boy, I would have never seen that one coming. And the Bible says in Romans 15, look at it, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. 
Philippians 2 gives us a great description of what the Lord's done for us. This mindset that that the Lord had that we all should have in our lives, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of what? Of a servant. Remember, the Bible says, Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. See, I see a serving mindset, which led to a selfless ministry. Look at verse 34. The Bible says this Samaritan went to him. Unlike the priest in Levi, he bound up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine. Where did he get that? That was his own. He sacrificed. He gave of something that he had, something that maybe he, he worked and he paid for with his own money. And he poured in oil. And, and notice here it says in verse 31, uh, 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 verse number 34, he bound up pouring oil and wine and set him on his own beast. And you know what that means? That if he put him on his beast of burden, that maybe he had to walk alongside of it. He had to inconvenience himself. And the Bible says he brought him to an end. He wasn't going to an end, but he made his way to a place where this man could get some rest that he could recuperate. And the Bible says he didn't just take him there. He didn't just leave him there. The Bible says he actually took care of him. I see a selfless ministry here. Whatever was on this man's schedule for that day, it was no longer on his schedule. I mean, whatever this Samaritan was going to do, he didn't end up going there. His to-do list didn't get to done, right? Whatever he had on his list that day, guess what? It was no longer important because he saw the person there with the need. It was not about him. It was about ministering to other people. See, a serving mindset helps us to have a selfless ministry which leads this man, and you and I need to find ourselves there, not just going where we're going, but listen, going the second mile. That's what this man did. Look at verse 35. And on the morrow, you know what happened? He stayed there at the end with the man. I don't know if he stayed in the room. I don't know if he stayed outside. I don't know, but I know this, that it's the next day now, and the Bible says on the morrow... When he departed, and I have to believe, based on what we just read, that he made sure that this man was okay, that everything was good in his life. And the Bible says, on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence. And the Bible says, he gave them to the host. And he said unto him, take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more. In other words, whatever you need to take care of this man, when I come again, I will repay it. Do you know what, how many of you remember, I'm going to date you, but how many of you remember when your word was worth something? You know, they gave you a line of credit based on your word. Those days are gone. But this man says, look, I'll take care of it. Now, he was a Samaritan. And the Bible says that he was willing to go beyond. I mean, look, it would have been enough just to dress the man's wounds, just to help the man up just to get the man walking again, get him to an end. But this guy says, look, I'm going to pay extra. I'm going to extend myself. I'm going to go out of my way. Why did he do that? Well, when Jesus preached that Sermon on the Mount, he said these words, 
whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now, where in the world would this guy get this idea from the Lord? God burdened this man that this guy had a need, and someone needed to go beyond what was required. And here's the question that he had for the Lord Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? That's the question for you this morning. The answer to that question is this, your neighbor, my neighbor, is anyone in our pathway that has a need that the Lord could meet? Anyone. Do you know what that means? That means that the whole world is your neighbor. Every person that you could ever come into contact with, people bring, God brings people into our lives and cross our path so that we can help them to find Him. Look, God may put someone in your path tomorrow. And the reason God brought them into your life is so that you can help them, just like this man helped the man that had a need. See, what will you do? When God brings somebody across your path and into your life, listen, will you see the need that they have and pass by on the other side? Or will you see the need that they have and come to them and be their neighbor? Help them. Take care of them. Be willing to go the second mile. Who is my neighbor? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Because what Jesus was explaining to this certain lawyer certainly was something we don't see much of this in this day and hour is being a neighbor, being a good neighbor. Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. I wonder this morning, do you love the Lord thy God with all your heart? Are you saved today? Has there been a time in your life that you've trusted Christ by faith? that you know without a shadow of a doubt that if this were your last day on this earth, that you'd spend eternity with the Lord. How many of you by a raised hand could give a testimony, I am saved, I have believed on the Lord. Would you slip your hand up, I am saved on my way to heaven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You can put your hands down. If you haven't loved the Lord, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, you couldn't raise your hand just a minute ago. That's the first step in your life. Maybe that's why you've been struggling. Maybe even this passage this morning, you didn't relate to it. And if you're not a child of God, you wouldn't relate to it because you don't understand the love of God. But maybe he has spoken to your heart this morning and you realize that you're, you're not saved. And that's where it all begins because you can't love others until you love God. And maybe today God brought you here because you need to put your faith in Christ. I wonder this morning, would you be honest with the Lord and admit, I don't know the Lord is my Savior. I need to be saved. God has spoken to me this morning about this. I wonder if you'd slip your hand up this morning as a testimony. No one's looking around. Pastor, Pastor pray for me this morning. I don't know for sure, but I want to settle it. Would you slip your hand up that I'm not saved, but I want to settle it this morning. 
anyone at all, not sure that heaven would be my home, put your hand up just for a moment before I pray, and you can put it right back down. If you are saved this morning, are you being a good neighbor? Are you being a good neighbor? See the need, take the lead. Why don't, you, why don't you focus on the object of our faith, and that is the Lord and others. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this tremendous truth. I think about this week and really the rest of our lives. It'll all be in vain if we don't love you. And as we love you, we'll love others. Our neighbor, as we heard this morning, is anyone that you put in our pathway that has a need. Lord, and you put them there to help us to bring them to you because you can meet those needs. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would